Good morning. How's everyone? Good. My name's Eric. If you don't know me, uh, we'd love to get to know you, help connect you to our church. We have a welcome center out in the courtyard where we give, uh, give you a gift, help you see all the ministries we have available to help, uh, help you grow in your faith and your family get connected. So we'd encourage you to do that. Um, just two quick things. One, last week, you know, Pastor Andy did a great job presenting the gospel and the understanding that heaven and hell are real places. And, and so with that, it promotes or it shows the need for sharing the gospel and sharing your faith with people. So next Sunday, we're going to have a training in the Activity Center from 1145. And we're just going to walk through how do you share your faith? What is the gospel? What's the proper way to do it? So we can help equip and enable our church to share the gospel. So look for that. We encourage you to go. And then last thing, um, just this time of year, we try to make a general encouragement uh, that we know people are looking at their end of year finances. And so if you would prayerfully consider us uh, to giving, help fund the church and everything it does. Uh, uh, we have a great church, very giving church and faithful. And so we just love to say, have you start praying about that as you look. And the offering boxes are in the back in the wall. A lot of new people don't know that. And so that's where they're there. And we'd love for you to consider us in your prayer. So we're in Matthew chapter 13. We're picking it up in 53. Actually, we're going to work back a little bit in 51. And uh, just general reminder, Matthew has so many pieces to it. It's 28 chapters. Very important that you're doing work throughout the week before you come. What were the passages before? What's coming up after? Um, writing down kind of the, the storyline of Matthew so that when you get to these pivotal pieces, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. Um, because we want you to understand the totality of what's being said. And um, it's so helpful when you're not looking at it for the first time. So just keep that in mind. I'm going to pray and we're going we're gonna to jump in. Dear Jesus, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've communicated to us. You've loved us. Uh, enough to show us who you are and what you've done and what it means to follow you and love you and be a part of your kingdom. So we just pray that you would uh, teach us now, that your words would illuminate our hearts, that you would help us want to be more like you, uh, that your word would just uh, take root in our heart and grow with fervor and passion and a commitment to your name and what you've called us to. So we pray for your words and not mine. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this is a good example. We're in Matthew 13. Uh, we're in 53, but a lot of this um, is helpful if you understand verse 51, okay? So if you go up just a few verses, uh, he says, have you understood all these things? So that's important. What are all these things? Well, if you remember, we've been walking through the book of Matthew. What's new to the book of Matthew? parables. So he's been talking about parables, what have been in the parables, what the kingdom is like. So he's asking the disciples, hey, do you guys understand what the kingdom of heaven is like? Because you're about to be tested and see. So if you're paying attention, you're going to know they say, yes, we understand. And then three chapters later, it's going to be like, you guys lied. You didn't understand. Okay? I think if you look at that, that's very similar to us. We really do think we understand. And then later on in life, you'd be like, oh, well, I guess I'm not as patient as I thought, or I'm not as, you know, mature as I thought. Whatever it is, your understanding isn't as good as you thought. And so I think that's important to realize is Jesus is directly showing them, hey, all the things we talked about, they're going to start popping up. So it's important that you understand this. 
So just looking through what were the parts of the kingdom of heaven he was trying to get them to understand. Well, one thing very clearly was that there are, there's a heaven and there's a hell. Not everybody goes to heaven. There are people that go to hell. And he walks through, how does this work? So he starts with talking about soils and seeds. And he gives examples that sometimes Satan comes and he chokes it out. And that the seed never takes root in the heart. Sometimes it's the cares of the world. Sometimes it's trials and tribulations. So he walks through these different things. And so what should we learn right there? Not everyone who looks like they're a Christian is going to be a Christian. And we shouldn't be shocked when we see that. And he gets into the net and he talks about how, you know, throws in the net and some come and it separates out. Not everyone goes to heaven. There's going to even be some people that look like they're going to heaven. Why is that important? I think because we're really quick sometimes to judge the successfulness or authenticity of something because it has the appearance of being godly. It has the appearance of being authentic or, you know, people were crying or people were excited. And so it had to be of the Lord. And what Jesus is preparing them is just because it might have the appearance. It does not mean that it has taken root in their heart. So that's what he walks through in the first part of it. The second part, well, how do you know it's taken root? It says, oh, Jesus will be your treasure. You will treasure him above anything else. You will see what he's doing, what he's done, what he will do for you, and you will love that more than anything. The one whose seed has taken root is the one who treasures Christ. So we walked through that, I think about a month ago, and that Jesus isn't your trophy. He's not something you just show people, look, I'm, I participated. So no, 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 he's your treasure. He's the greatest thing you could ever have in all the world is Jesus. So Jesus is helping them understand these are the components of what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. And the last thing he does, I promise you, this is all going to lead right into 53, okay? As he gives them in verse 52, the kingdom of heaven. It's also like, right, a master of a house who brings out of this treasure what is new and what is old. Why is that important? He's highlighting the fact that the Old Testament is a part of the treasure. The Old Testament is very beneficial. So Old Testament, New Testament, it is one treasure to be presented and shared and loved. So you might say, well, how do we know the Old Testament is a treasure, okay? Because the Old Testament is what points us to the need for Jesus. When you see the laws written, the law is there to show us you cannot earn your way to Christ. You cannot earn your way to be in relationship with a holy God. You'll never be holy enough. You'll never be good enough. You'll always have to make another sacrifice, another sacrifice, another sacrifice. You'll never make it. That's why when John sees Jesus, the first words out of his mouth are, behold, the lamb to take away the sins of the world. The Old Testament has now shown he needs a savior. New Testament, the savior's here. The Old Testament is to be treasured because it shows us we need Christ. We need a savior. The New Testament is a treasure because Christ comes and dies on our behalf. So this is important because he's going to walk in here and he's going to teach in a synagogue and he's going to share from the Old Testament. So he's saying we treasure the Old Testament, but we also treasure the new, that Christ is here and he's doing something new. And so for us, it's important that we remember all these things. 
We remember the soils. We remember the treasure. We remember the old and the new. And it's one story of God's redemptive plan to redeem humanity from its sin, to be with him forever through his son, Jesus. It's because if we lose sight of that, if we lose sight of that, we will become how this passage ends in 58. We will have unbelief. We will look to Christ to do the things he never promised and they get angry at him for the things he never promised. This is why he's asking them, do you understand these things? The kingdom of heaven is about eternity with Christ. It's about treasuring Christ. It's about giving up everything to love and follow him, him as your king eternally. Because there's gonna be consequences. There's gonna be hardships. And you need to understand these things. Okay? So that's how now we walk into verse 53. So do you understand these things? The old, the new, they all work together. You need to, they're complementary. You need to love them, treasure them. So 53, so Jesus now, he's done with the parables, it says in 53, and he goes to his hometown. Okay, so these are the hometown realities. These are important things for us to think through and, and capture because they help address some of um, the attacks on Christianity, on heresies, on false religions, this passage really helps because in this <clears throat> hometown narrative, it teaches us some things, okay? So I'm gonna walk through that. The first thing to see, uh, let's, let's walk through uh, verse 57, okay? It says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. So what is he showing us? Jesus is not well-received. What does that help us understand? Well, the humanity of Jesus, Jesus was a real guy who lived in a real place. And there's people that grew up with him. And they're like, aren't you that kid who used to play with building blocks on the side of the synagogue? Aren't you that kid that used to? He came from humble beginnings. He comes from Nazareth, a place they couldn't even find it was so small. And then eventually they found it. And so in the humanity of Jesus, it's important. Well, why? What does Romans tell us? Sin enters through one man, Adam. Sin gets taken away through one man, Christ. If Jesus isn't human, we don't have a human representative to take the sins away on our behalf. So the humanity of Jesus is very, very important. Also is the deity of Jesus. If he's not fully God, he doesn't overcome death by rising from the dead. He doesn't overcome sin. And so you need the humanity and you need the deity. That's what's called the hypostatic union, right? The union of humanity and deity together. So this is a great passage to realize, no, he's a real person who had a real family who was known at his own church. They knew him. Aren't you the son of the carpenter? Aren't these people your family? Aren't James and your brother and Simon and Judas and Joseph? Aren't, isn't this your family? Yeah. So this would be a great place for you to go and be like, no, Jesus is human, look at this. Now, connected to this, there was this very big concern. If you were to be born human, you would have to have sin, which is true, between two people. So this is why some people would say Jesus was a hologram. You could like put your hand through him, right? In Star Wars or something. It's like, no, 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 he's a real person. Well, if he's a real person who didn't sin, then they'll shift and say, well, then Mary had to be without sin. 
The only way you can be born without sin is to come from someone without sin. Okay, do we see the problem with that? Because then Mary would have to come from what? Someone without sin. And then she would have to come from someone without sin. You have an infinite regress of perfection humans. And if Mary's to be worshiped, then they're all to be worshiped because they're all perfect. I know that's nerdy, but it's important, right? Why is that important? Because there's some, you know, Catholics believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary. This is a passage you'd go to and be like, nope, she had kids right here. If you don't understand why that disproves it, Pastor Dave will explain it to you. So James Joseph said, no, she had other kids right here in that text. She did not, she was not sinless. She's not to be worshiped. The humanity of Jesus, it has huge implications for us. And so this is one of those texts where you want to know, okay, I get it. It's also good to realize that Jesus had obstacles just from being in close proximity to people. They couldn't get it out of their head. How can a guy who has a dad carpenter with a scandalous marriage to a mom with brothers who don't like him, how can he be a savior? How can he be a king? How can he be God? They can't overcome it. I think this is true in our lives too, especially with family. You try to share Christ with your family. Like, well, I remember when I was five and you punched me. And like, what does that have to do with Jesus dying on the cross? And like, well, there's no way God could love you. I know who you are. You're the one who lied to mom and dad about where you were every night. You're the one who was always a brat. You're the one who always stole my toys. Okay? There becomes this aversion to you following Jesus because they can't get over, well, I know who you really are. I know who you were. You gotta think Jesus is perfect and they just can't get over his humble beginnings, humble lifestyle. They can't get over the fact that his own family is, is kind of has mixed feelings about him. Side note, this helps you see James was very skeptical of Christ as his brother. I mean, think about it. If your sibling told you they were the son of God, you would laugh. And you're like, sure you are. That's your get out of jail free card, isn't it? How convenient that you get what you want because you're the son of God. You wouldn't believe it. And when you look in the New Testament, you see James and Paul, two people, very adverse to Christ, end up becoming followers of Christ. So the question is, why would you follow Christ when there's no benefit to you and you are in opposition? Why would you move from opposition of Christ to promoting Christ when there's no benefit? There's actually a cost because they're persecuted and hated. Well, because he is who he says he is. Okay? So there's lots in here for us to look through and realize that, wow, the humanity of Jesus is clear. Mary had kids. And the next part, when you look through this, is that God uses people from all kinds of places. Jesus comes born into like a less than Motel 6 situation and is raised working with his hands, not a rabbi formally trained with a bunch of fishermen. So he's going around and he's being used by God. He's to be the savior and he's got men with him. God can use you. But here's what you have to know is that there, there might be something in your life because we're not perfect, so this doesn't apply to Jesus, but for us. And we're trying to share the gospel to them and there might be an aversion because they can't get over something in our past. 
And I witnessed this, uh, it was a couple of years ago. I was at church late. Man, uh, a guy came in. Um, he was looking for help, and he had all these, like, prison tattoos and teardrops, the whole thing. And he told me he'd given his life to Christ, and he was trying to turn it around. And he said, hey, am I welcome here? I was like, yes, absolutely, you're welcome here. I said, but you need to know people are going to look at you weird. He looked at me, I'm like, yep, you're not going to fit the norm at our church. Just letting you know. You guys can laugh. It's true, okay? It just is. They might point at you. They might not want to talk to you. They might judge you. But the reality is, the life you lived, part of the consequences, it might take people a little bit of time to trust you. It might take people a little bit of time to talk to you. But I promise you, if you come, I'll connect you to people and we'll do this together. There might be some aversion to that because some people simply have a hard time believing that God could change a person like that. I mean, Jesus is perfect, and they can't even believe that because it's in his own hometown. There's sometimes aversions to people when you're sharing the gospel with them, things they can't get over, things they just can't reconcile. And so the point isn't, well, then why try? Jesus still goes. Jesus still shares. Jesus still warns. He stays the course, even through the hometown realities of people being judgmental, People being in unbelief, he still goes and he still shares. Okay? So it's important for us. If you think my family will never believe this, I could, God can never save that person. God can absolutely save anyone. You stay the course. You stay the course, no matter what the aversions. Okay, now let's look at this. Jesus is offensive. This is, we're gonna take some time here and walk through this. I want you to see this. Verse 57. It says, and they took offense at him. And why did they take offense at him? Because he was teaching in the synagogue. Look at 54. Comes to his hometown. He taught them in their synagogue. And it starts off that they were astonished. Where did this man get this wisdom? And so it starts off very like, wow, this is a smart guy. Can you believe this is the carpenter's kid? What is he teaching? He's teaching from Isaiah chapter 61. If you look at Luke 4, it has a more detailed account of this encounter. And you can see he opens up the scroll and he reads it. So this is how Jesus starts his teaching. He reads it. Uh, Isaiah 61.1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, an opening of the prison to those who are bound, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Right? Oh, wow, that's good news. Until Jesus points out to them, but it doesn't apply to you. And that's when they get mad. See, Jesus reminds them in the Old Testament. He's like, hey, do you remember with Elijah and the widows? there was a famine, none of the Jewish widows got to eat. But God did bring food to the Gentile widows. Do you remember? And he goes on, he gives another example. Walk you through, hey, did you see the lepers? And how the lepers, the Jewish lepers were not made clean, but the Gentile lepers were made clean. What is he doing? He's showing them, you guys have unbelief. 
And this doesn't apply to you. It's like when you tell people, John 3.16, God so loved the world. People love that. But what about the rest of the Bible? Repent, turn, follow, obey. Those are the commands that get you in trouble. And so what Jesus is telling them is, look, I came to heal the sick. Right? This is what Jesus says. He's the great physician. I came to heal the sick, not the well. You guys think you're well. Came to heal the broken hearted. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, I came to heal those who know they need a savior. The Old Testament points, everybody needs a savior. Jesus comes to fulfill that as the savior. You guys don't think you need a savior. Therefore, you guys have no way to be with God because there's no one to pay for your sin. Think that'd make people angry? Absolutely. This is why in Luke 4, you'll see they try to kill him. It's like, all right, we've had enough of this. We're done with this dude. He's crazy. He thinks we, the righteous, have issues. Now, how does this tie back into, do you understand all these things? Parable of the soils. You have a whole synagogue. Whole synagogue. No belief in Christ. That still happens today, you know. Whole places don't believe in Jesus. They believe in saving themselves. They believe in a Jesus that Jesus actually never talks about. So this is why it's so important that we understand what did Jesus actually come to do? To save sinners. To give salvation for those who can't give it to themselves. See, but we focus, similar in this passage, to the here, to the now, and the expectation of the here and the now. Where are we getting at? Let's look back here in verse 58. So he says, hey, prophets, not welcome here in 57. 58, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, this becomes a very popular passage to abuse. This is why we've done the work to give it context. Some people will read this and say, see, if you just have enough faith, God will give you what you want. And the only reason they're not healed is because they didn't believe. And if you would just believe, then you would be healed. Then you would. That's not what the passage is getting at. Jesus had told them, if you treasure the kingdom, this is what you are like. These people do not treasure Christ. And it's not that they had a lack of belief, it's they had no belief. This is why Jesus warns them not to throw pearl before swine. They had no interest in being saved because why? They could save themselves. So this is important when you walk the passages like this, that you walk through the full weight and context of what's being said. Now, here's, here's why I want to spend a little bit of time on this because this is probably one of the most abused doctrines in all the Bible. Someone will get sick, a family member will get sick, and so people will start praying. And they go to the pastor, and they're like, hey, so-and-so is not healed, they're not well. And it's like, oh, well, do you believe God can do it? Well, yeah. Well, have you given any money? What have you done? And they turn it into a formula or a proposition. Have you given enough money? Have you done enough good works? 
Well, if they're still sick, you need to give more. You need to do more. And it puts this burden on the church member to perform so that God will finally acquiesce to your request. This is one of the most, I don't know how to say it, evil things in all of church land right now. Because you're just preying on people who think if they just try hard enough, God will give me what I want. God will do what I want. And then they point out to people, that person got healed. They had real faith. They really loved Jesus. So they just keep putting it back on you and putting it back on you. Try harder, do more. Try harder, do more. See, the reality is God is never beholden to us. He's never up there going, oh, if you would have prayed three more times, I would have healed you. I I want you to think through this. If that's really how the Bible works, what's the magic number? Is it 100? Is the number correlated to the problem? If you need a new card, you pray 100 times. But if you break your arm, you have to pray 500 times. What's the system? And if we can do that, is it unlimited? Can we get whatever we want as long as we ask enough? What a mean God if he has this system and he doesn't tell us how to use it. He's just up there going, well, if you would have asked more, you're $10 short, should have put the 20 in. That's not a God you want. Now, I get there is a flip side to this, and this is why people go that direction. Well, if if it's not about me asking, then why should I pray at all? You pray because he knows everything and you don't. That's why. You pray because he is the author and perfecter of all things. See, here's what you have to, the correlation you have to make. It's just because God says no, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. That's not the correlation to make. The hard thing for people to wrap their minds around is that God could say no about something I care so deeply about, but yet still be good and still love me. That's why you have to go to him in prayer. And there will be times God will heal cancer. He will bring back a wayward child. He will restore a marriage. And God absolutely does that. And there's times that God doesn't but it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He's saying, trust me, I'm your treasure. If I'm worth selling everything for, then you can trust me in your sickness, in your tragedy. This is what he's teaming or he's he's preparing the disciples to walk into the lion's den. Treasure Christ. They can take everything else, but they can't take your treasure. Hold on to your treasure. Some of them will look like Christians, but they're not. Parable of the soils. Remember the old, remember the new. God made a promise. He would provide the lamb. He provides the lamb in Christ. Hold on to these things. See, you go to God in prayer as if he can do all things. And then you trust him in the things he says no to. Look at your New Testament. Paul pleads with God three times, says, please take this thorn away. Please take this thorn away. 
Are we to conclude that the Apostle Paul just had weak faith? It's like Paul, if he would have pleaded four times, he would have been gone. No, the reality is, is God said that thorn is going to stay and it's for your good and it is my power perfected in your weakness in that moment. That is what prayer is for. He gives it to the Lord. God says no. He says, I trust you. Timothy is sick. Epaphroditus is sick. You go through the New Testament, God doesn't take away all the illnesses. You read the end of Galatians and Paul says, I write in big letters because he had eye problems. Jesus doesn't heal every person in the New Testament. It's not what he came to do. He came that sinners might be saved. This is why it's blessed are the poor in Savior. They poor in spirit. They know they need a Savior. They know they need a spiritual doctor. And so when you come to texts like this, it's very important you see what's going on in the midst of it. Otherwise, you can go down a very scary road where you think you're trying to earn God's favor, earn God's love, earn God's blessing. And it's an endless cycle of failure and try harder, failure and try harder. See, this is why they were offended. Jesus makes it clear in reading the Isaiah passage, you can try all you want, you'll never get there. You need a savior. That's why they're offended. This is why when you share your faith with people, they might be offended. It's not wrong and it's not mean when you say you need to change, you need to follow Christ. That's not mean. It's not mean to say you're a sinner, needs to turn from their sin and follow Jesus. That's not mean. It's mean when you say, I'm so much smarter than you, why can't you do this? What's wrong with you? This is the easiest thing in all the world. When you make yourself better than them, then yeah, that's a problem. But if you follow the model of Jesus, what does he do? He holds up the scripture and says, this scripture is being fulfilled. This is happening. God is providing the lamb to take away the sins. He is executing the promise he made from Genesis 3 through the seed of the woman to conquer the serpent. There's a way for you to say, look, the Bible says Marriage is between a man and a woman. The Bible says you don't have sex before marriage. I adhere to the Bible. It stands in authority over me. And it's the greatest thing I've ever done is listen to God's word. And there's nothing more that I want for you than to listen to God's word. And if they're offended in that, you weren't mean. You have to be willing to offend people to share the treasure. That's what he says. Go back to 52. It's like a scribe who has a treasure. He brings out the old, he brings out the new, and he shares it with the people. And he walks right into his hometown, into a synagogue with people who should believe. People who have seen Christ. They've seen him grow up. They've seen Mary. They've seen the family. They should believe, but they don't. But yet Christ shares with them that he will heal the brokenhearted. 
The problem is you're not brokenhearted. You don't think you're a sinner that needs a savior. This is why you have unbelief. And this is why he chooses to do no miracles. See, Jesus is not an entertainer. He's not there to put on grandiose displays. He's there to change hearts. He's there to bring glory to the Father. He's there to strengthen people in their faith, affirm people in their faith. He's not there to entertain the pagans and the Pharisees. So this is an important part too. You, you, you look all through this, it's over and over again, is Jesus will say a wicked generation seeks a sign. It's important you draw this connection. When people say, if I could just see one miracle, one thing, I'd become a Christian. That's a lie. How do you know that? Read this passage. They saw Jesus for 30 years. Didn't move the needle. Because it wasn't about a miracle. It was about a hard heart. It was about a narrative that they created. And Jesus didn't fit the narrative. And if he was right, their narrative is destroyed. So kill him, keep the narrative. What's the narrative? We come into power. We rule the nations. He sits on a throne. We become the rulers of earth. We are to be the ones who are adored and looked at because of our righteousness and our work. But what's the narrative with Jesus? Scandalous marriage. Humble beginnings. Fisherman followers. Rejected and hated. It didn't fit the narrative so they wouldn't believe. See, this is what happens in our culture. They don't like the narrative. So either they change Jesus or they reject Jesus so that they can hold intact their own narrative. The narrative of God wants me to be happy. My feelings, emotions, inclinations, the things I want is what God wants. And that's what Jesus really cared about. But that's not the Jesus you see in Matthew, is it? He's like, no, 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 no. There's a heaven, there's a hell. Jesus is the treasure. Everything else falls in comparison to the treasure. He is to be loved and adored and worshiped. He is to be followed and listened to. And he, his commandments are to be executed. And he does this and it's to the offense of the people. See, if we're going to learn from this passage, it's important we understand all these things the kingdom of heaven is like. It will offend people. Not everyone will get to go. But do not give up and don't stop believing. You know, there's people in here I've seen and I know, and they've told me that it was 30, sometimes 40 years till they came to Jesus. And it was other people in this church that prayed for them faithfully. See, they went to God as if he could do it, but then they trusted God in the timing and in the outcome. You don't just walk away and say, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care. If God really did love me, then this would be healed. That would be fixed. You don't get to qualify God's love based on your commands. They're his commands. 
This is why this is an important verse for us to kind of hang our hat on. Romans 8, 38 reads like this. says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor power nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a promise. That's an eternal promise. Just because you find yourself in a sticky situation and God is not answering your prayer with a yes, it does not mean that he does not love you. But it does mean you need to trust him. We have to stop using circumstances to change Jesus. It doesn't work. That's what the Bible says, and that's true regardless of the circumstance. Marriage falls apart, someone dies, someone harms you, someone persecutes you. The love of Christ is not absent in that action. And pray to him that he'll take it away. He might and celebrate when he does, but he might not. He might not take it away just like he didn't with Paul, just like he didn't with Timothy, just like he didn't with Epaphroditus, just like he didn't. Think of this, Jesus goes to the cross, didn't he? Jesus bears the wrath of God. Jesus took significant pain for the good of the people and the glory of God. Why is this so important? Because I don't ever want anyone from this church to hate God because they don't think he's living up to their standards. That is the worst form of Christianity that's not even Christianity. You need to know that God might say no, but it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It does not mean that. He is still your treasure. He is still your treasure. And if you are in his kingdom, you treasure him forever in any and all circumstances. And he's always with you and he always loves you no matter how much it feels like he doesn't. You cannot believe the culture when it says, if God really loved you, then. No, Romans 8, God really loves me always. Okay, some questions for us to walk through. Why is it important to see Jesus' humanity and deity? Because if you don't have both, you don't have the gospel. If he's not man, he can't die as our representative. Sin came in through one man, sin goes out through one man doesn't have deity, can't rise from the dead, can't conquer sin, can't conquer Satan, can't conquer death. Needs both. Hypostatic union, okay? Remember that. Two, why were they offended? Because they were told they need to change. Because they were told that what they believed was wrong. Jesus spoke from the Old Testament just after he told them, hey, celebrate the old, celebrate the new, one story. He told them they needed to repent, change. They needed a savior. That's why they were offended. When you tell people you need to change and you need to follow Jesus, it might offend them. But don't give up on them. Keep sharing and keep praying. Do not be afraid to offend them. If you're going to be a jerk about it, then yeah, that's wrong. But do not be afraid to offend them with the simplicity of the truth of what God's word says. 
Three, was Jesus limited by unbelief and what are the implications if he was? The answer is no. God is not sitting up in heaven and going, I just wish you would allow me to do this for you. God's sovereignty, you can't have an all-powerful God limited by humanity. See how that's an oxymoron? Doesn't work. All-powerful. Does as he pleases. He's not limited. He chooses to do things and not do things. Read Romans 9. It's our job to trust him in the process. Celebrate it when he does. Trust him when he doesn't. Four, why do you think a prophet is not welcome in his own town? And how does that principle apply to you today? The, the principle is that you might try to share Christ with people close to you, and they might point out things in your life and say, no, you're not a Christian, and how could God love someone like you? And I can't take you serious. You used to. I know what you did on Fridays. I know what you did at night. I know what kind of kid. Don't be shocked if there's adversity. That's part of the consequence. Uh, we bear as our sin. Stay the course. Also know that stay the course and you never know what will happen to people. James ends up becoming a pastor in Jerusalem. He went from opposing his brother to seeing him as king. You never know. Stay the course and trust God for the results. Last one. What are some biblical truths that would offend people today? And are you willing to share those? Now here's the key. There's a difference between you're a dirty little sinner and I'm going to beat you up and prove it. That's different than you living in that sin is so harmful. That's why God's word tells you not to do that. I've listened to God's word and it's been the greatest thing I've ever done in all my life. I have a marriage according to God's word and it's way better than when I don't listen to God. My friendships have biblical forgiveness. I'm so glad I used the biblical framework for my friendship. For my, the, you see what I'm saying? It is so different when you share out of love and concern for the other that God's way is just simply better because he is the creator and author and perfecter of all things. And the greatest thing they could do is trust Jesus and his word and his way of life. But you might offend them. But let the truth be offensive, not the attitude and the disposition. When the attitude and the disposition get in the way, the truth gets ignored. We never want it to be ignored because we didn't have the kindness or patience or gentleness to deliver what God has said. May we not be the stumbling block. So as we conclude this, treasure Christ. Know there will be obstacles. And know in the midst of those obstacles, he still loves you and he is still with you. This is why he's worthy to be worshiped. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you. And we thank you. Now, we pray that we would trust you in hard times when you say, no, I'm not going to do that. That wouldn't change our love and affection for you. And God, when you say yes, man, I pray we would celebrate that. Celebrate what you've done. Celebrate the work you've done, the love and the mercy you've shown. And I pray in a time of worship, we would just focus that you sent Christ to pay for our sins, that we are sick people 
that can never heal ourselves in need of a Savior. And that Savior came, lived, died, and rose and conquered. And he is our King, worthy of our praise. I pray we will give him all of it that he is due in this time of worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.